Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Statement. The word of the day, nothing personal, is statement. You know on Nothing Personal, we talk about statements. I enjoy dissecting them for you. I enjoy explaining to you why statements are written, why certain things are said the way they're said, what teams are trying to say and rarely say correctly, what players are trying to say, agents. But the reason today statement is the word of the day has nothing to do with that. It's a little different. A couple days ago, if you've been living under a rock, and hopefully you have not in 2020, Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, got shot in the back by a policeman who I think it's clear was not doing his job. He survived. There's rumors that he may be paralyzed from the waist down. It has created and continued a conversation that we've talked about that has been pervasive in our society for a long time, decades, and certainly since the murder of George Floyd so many months ago, has now brought this conversation back to the forefront. Why the conversation goes to the background and then to the forefront and then back to the background is a subject for another day and a subject of great frustration that I have tried to discuss on Nothing Personal, trying to explain that people need to use their platform and hope and hope that one person at a time, it gets better. And then we're reminded that as much effort as we make, as much change as we think is happening, things like this continue to take place. You don't know when, you don't know where. Kenosha's only... 30 or 45 minutes south of Milwaukee, where I was born, where I, I went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, spent a lot of time in northern Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Chicago, driven past Kenosha. It's, it's a city where you wouldn't expect, let me say it a better way, there is no city where you should expect what took place. And it has brought up a very touchy situation that I'm not going to avoid. Too many people are avoiding it, and I'm not going to. When you run a sports team, you have a responsibility to your community as a community partner. You have a foundation for that reason, among others. You have a voice. You have a platform. You have an ability to collect information, to disseminate information. You have various mouthpieces through which to get information out, whether it's players, executives, sponsors, leagues. And what we're seeing now after George Floyd was murdered, after the pandemic, you saw the NBA work very hard to be clear that 
They were going to give their players the platform. You see it every day during these playoffs with the uniforms where the names are on the bottom of the uniform and there is a message. We've covered that in depth in depth on nothing personal. Black Lives Matter. There's plenty of messages, like 10 they could use, the players. Some players, Kyrie Irving led the charge of some players not wanting to go back to play, feeling as though it was tone deaf, irresponsible to play basketball during this time of COVID and this time of social unrest. But the decision was made to play, and people have responded by watching in record numbers. The games have been competitive. We are now almost done with the first round of the playoffs. The Lakers last night took a commanding 3-1 lead on Kobe Bryant's 42nd birthday. LeBron James had an opportunity to talk because LeBron James always has an opportunity to use his platform. And he took the opportunity to talk about Jacob Blake. He took the opportunity to discuss what it is to be a black boy growing up in the projects and being scared whenever the police go by. He talked about the video of a young black boy hiding behind his behind a car or behind a wall just recently, maybe in Jersey. Can't remember where. He talked about the fear of being black and how even LeBron James, even LeBron James has that fear. George Hill of the Milwaukee Bucks, who also have a commanding 3-1 lead in their first round series against the Indiana Pacers, said that he doesn't understand why we're playing basketball. He disagreed with the fact uh, the Bucks are over the magic, not the Pacers. Sorry, Coca. Thank you. Yes, the Pacers are gone. The Heat swept them. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Maybe that's why it was in my mind. George Hill of the Bucks talked about that he didn't want to be in the bubble. He feels as though that's taking the focus away from what could be happening to make things better for black people in this country, if not around the world. He feels as though playing basketball is a luxury that they should not afford at the moment. LeBron James doesn't agree with that. He has a job to do, said he has a job to do, but respects the right of George Hill to say and feel what he wants. But what do you do when you're a team? What do you do when you're a league? Adam Silver has been clear that he wanted all these players to have their platforms. But what about the individual teams? So the Milwaukee Bucks were asked immediately prior and post game about Jacob Blake and their views. George Hill said what he said. The coach of the Bucks, and I'm going to get his name wrong. I want to say it's Budenholter, but I'm sure that's not right, Coca. Budenholzer, he talked about the reality of the world and, and, and said the right thing, that we need to get better. We need to be better, as the commercial for Kobe Bryant so perfectly stated. The Brewers were also asked, as they're playing baseball, having a underperforming season, and they decided they were going to write a statement. And what's interesting about the decision and what I want to talk about is why a sports team 
feels the need to do a statement? What causes that? Because this was not a Brewer situation or a Buck situation. The statements in theory should come from the police department, the governor, the mayor, the representatives, the senators in Wisconsin, maybe even the president of the country. But when you're a team in the city or a nearby city where riots are beginning to happen, where this injustice takes place, the pressure to release a statement is so significant that it pales in comparison to the pressure that other companies in that same community feel. There's a big brewery in Milwaukee, Molson Coors. They own Miller Beer. Miller Park is the name of the ballpark where the brewers play. Where's their statement? Why didn't their CEO feel the need to make a statement? Harley Davidson is based in Milwaukee. I looked everywhere. Coca looked. We couldn't find a statement by Harley Davidson and their CEO about what took place. Isn't it interesting, though, that sports is an industry where you cannot get away with silence, even when silence may be the right thing. And I'm not criticizing the Brewers for their statement where they talked about the video and how disturbing it was and how it raises the same questions we've been asking related to social injustice and racism in our communities. We pray for a full recovery for Jacob and our thoughts are with his family and loved ones. We have that in our statements. We pray. We hope for change. We pray for recovery. Things go on in a community, though, as a president of a team. I could open the paper. I could wake up with my eyes open on a random Tuesday, and something happens in my community where I'm the president of the local sports team. Whether it's a policeman shooting an unarmed black man or a man killing his defenseless wife or girlfriend or whether it's a person kidnapping or abusing a child or murdering someone for money. All you have to do is watch your local news if you want to know all the bad things that happen in the community. But teams don't make a statement about every bad thing that happens. Teams have to make a decision based on the moment when they need to speak up, when they feel they need to speak up, and when they feel they'll be criticized for not speaking up. This is harder than you think. As a president, I was always nervous. That's why I had people around me to help me when I would be in a situation. In Miami, the only thing bigger than racism is pro-Castroism. When somebody is pro-Castro, you have to remove yourself from them. You cannot associate with that company, with that person. Whereas that person could do business in Milwaukee, as an example, but not in Miami. If you're in Milwaukee and you are a company and you come out and say that beer does nothing but make you fat and kill you, your statement would have to be given because Milwaukee 
is a beer drinking community. And in no way am I equating beer and death or beer and racism. I'm saying that each team has a decision to make in its community when it speaks up and you better not get it wrong. And that makes people scared. And what we're witnessing now are teams which are scared. They're scared because if they stay silent, they're worried they'll be criticized. They're worried that sponsors will step away from them. They're worried their players will step away from them. They are worried they will lose the respect of their partners and their employees. But by doing that, aren't they also ranking tragedy and injustice and frustration and anger and disappointment and lack of progress and inequity? I was always hesitant to rank those things, not just because I'm a person of privilege or not because I'm white. I always had a feeling that ranking tragedy was not befitting of those who were suffering from it. Because when you're suffering from tragedy to you, that's the number one tragedy. If you're in a family that's a victim of abuse and alcoholism, that's the number one tragedy that needs to be addressed, how to handle that. And I'm not saying it's sexy. I'm not saying it's the in thing that teams have to respond to officers shooting unarmed black people and in some some ways sometimes killing them, sometimes paralyzing them, sometimes not. It's not about the ranking or the horrificness of the act because they're all horrific. They're all wrong. There is no place for any of the things we're talking about in a society. No matter what you tell me and you say to me, and I've had the argument, hey, in a society, these things happen. You've got good people, you have bad people. I'm not willing to accept it. I'm willing to accept there are people who are less good, less moral, less interested in the greater good. I'm fine with that. It's a level of selfishness. Live and let live, I say. But in no way does anyone have the right to take away someone else's liberties or right to live their best life or to live in the way they want to live or to make people fear for their life. Teams are going to get it wrong and I'm going to be here at nothing personal when I view things as wrong, when I view things as right, and when I view things as impossible to judge. I can't judge the Brewer statement because in their position, I'm releasing a statement too because I also have the view that in that moment, I've got to speak up. Doesn't make me right, doesn't make me wrong. It just means I'm the one who has to make that decision at that particular time. To all the players out there who want to use their platform to talk about Jacob Blake or George Floyd or any of the other injustices, That's your right, and you should do that, and you have earned the platform to do it. Teams have to be more careful. They have to be more strategic. But that doesn't mean they can't be a part of making the community better and helping effectuate the change. That should be the point of the statement that any player makes, that any team makes. That today, it's not about what we say, it's about what we do. LeBron James has been one of the great examples of what to do, not just what to say. There is no way to just go to another subject. It's impossible on a show like this where it's just me 
and coca for 45 minutes coming to you every day. Segways are something that he wants me to practice and get better at. That's coca. And uh, he didn't really give me advice on how to segue from our word of the day into the second topic. So I decided to use empty words as the segue. I'm going to talk about process now. Process, it's a funny word, many different definitions. It's a process. What's a process? Everything's a process. Growing up, that's a process. Being a parent, that's a process. Marriage, process. Divorce, process. Siblings, that's a process. Friendship. Business. Building a business. Selling a business. Running a business. Everything's a process. Process has been used by the Philadelphia 76ers because for whatever reason, they had a process and that was the word before tanking was the word. And they told us to trust the process. It's the famous three words. Trust the process. I like using that. It covers all sorts of sins, doesn't it? Just trust the process. Don't worry what just happened right now. It's the process. Hey, I know that we just won 10 games. Trust the process. We're good. Oh, man, we just won under 20 games three years in a row. That's a process. Oh, God, we just had to trade all of our players who we just signed going into a new stadium. Don't worry. We're in a process. Is it a rebuild? No, it's a retool. It's a re-engineering. When you put re in front of something, that just means that it was screwed up and you have to fix it. Re. I'm going to reintroduce myself to you because you didn't remember me the first time. I'm going to relocate because I don't like the place that I currently am. <laughs> the process. Philadelphia 76ers got swept by the Boston Celtics. And what do you think happened after that? You know it. You know it. Seven years into a coaching stint, Brent Brown got canned. Brett Brown, excuse me. Thank you, Coca. Who's Brent Brown? I have no idea. Brett Brown, coach of the Sixers, got canned. The day the season ended, one of his players, Josh Richardson, did not have a nice word to say about Coach Brown. Talked about accountability. Made it seem as though Brown had lost the locker room. The next day, he was fired. A couple statements came out, and they're both fabulous. Let's start with the coach. Coach Brown said in 2013, I was employed to lead one of the most dramatic rebuilds in professional sports history. I guess along with the Astros, it was pretty dramatic. In the last eight seasons, in the last nine seasons, the Sixers have made the playoffs four times. In their first four seasons of their process, they won 19, 18, 10, and 28 games. In the last three, they won 52, 51, and 43. Hmm. It's going the wrong direction. He continued, in the past seven years, our players and coaches have evolved and grown. And wait for it. It may be a candidate for the number one line of a statement this year. And I have deep appreciation for the 102 players I have coached. 
That's a first, folks. 18 years running a team, never heard that. Never heard a coach, upon being fired, recount the number of players he had managed as an absolute F you to his owners. Now, he's going to claim to you that he was just saying what kind of rebuild and what kind of situation that had been. What he's really saying is continuity. There's been no continuity at all. We got players, then new players, then we get rid of players, then we bring in players, we had a process, we rebuild, then we make a signing, then we make a trade, then we have a bad signing, then we've got an injury, yada, yada, yada. I have a deep appreciation for the 102 players I've coached. It's math time, Coca. What's 102 divided by seven? It's about 14. I could be wrong, but that's my guess. 14 and a half, maybe. That's 14 and a half players a year. That's right, because you have 14 players on a team, 12 plus 3, 15. But wait a minute. Is that 15 different players every single year? Obviously, if Embiid's been on the team five years, that's only one player taking up one of the 100 and however many 15 times seven spots that you have, which is 105. Do you get what I'm saying at all? That was a total dig at his owner. But he does have a deep appreciation for the 102 players he coached. Not to be outdone, Josh Harris came down from the mountain and spoke. Josh Harris is, for Mets fans, you may know Josh Harris and David Blitzer. They're one of the people trying to buy the Mets who we had to wait to see. There is no chance they'll buy the Mets. I told you that. Josh Harris and David Blitzer will not be buying the Mets because they like value and the Mets are not going to be sold at value. They're going to be sold for a premium. That means they're out. I'm not taking credit for the wait to see it. I will when it's done. Josh Harris and David Blitzer bought the New Jersey Devils. How are they doing? They bought the team in 2013. They've been in the playoffs once in the past eight seasons. And in hockey, that's as hard as being in the playoffs seven of the past eight seasons. That's how hard it is to only make the playoffs once in the past eight seasons. Josh Harris and David Blitzer then bought the 76ers in 2011. That's two years before the Devils. They've made the playoffs four times in nine seasons, including the last three. Not one trip to the conference finals. Not one trip, obviously, then to the NBA finals. So Josh Harris pulled out page three of the ownership. I fired my coach statement handbook. We are really disappointed and know we let our fans down. It's always a good way to start. Yes. At the end of a season, there are 29 disappointed owners. Yes, that is true. It's unacceptable. And it's important that we all hold ourselves accountable. Here's a little lesson, Josh, if you're going to do a statement. And he released this statement on his iPhone notes program um, because he just basically sent that note to somebody, uh, to the media. So I don't know whether he wordsmithed it or workshopped it, but here's the thing. As a team president, I would never say it. And as an owner, you definitely can't say it. You never say it's unacceptable and it's important that we all hold ourselves accountable. How does an owner hold himself accountable? Remember John Middleton of the Philadelphia Phillies? Do you remember Ron Fowler of the Padres? These two guys saying that they are holding themselves accountable if their teams don't get better? By what? By selling the team? By buying another team and spreading yourself even thinner? By spending more time on the Devils, less time on the Sixers? 
by telling Elton Brand, who runs the basketball operations for the Sixers, that he can be, have less control, more control, different control? What does it mean that you hold yourself accountable? What's the, what's the ramification of that? What's the end game of that? Just be honest. I'm the owner. I'm holding accountable everyone who told me that they could do their job. I'm the owner. I'm the one who will tell people that I'm not satisfied and get no people to try to do better because I can't get rid of Tobias Harris or Tito Horford, but I think it could be Al Horford. Is it Tito or Al? It's Al. Then he said, we're we're going to be doing a real assessment of how we got here. Josh, are you not listening? We're going to be doing a real assessment of how we got here. Does that mean that what you did previously, you never assessed before you did it, that you went into the process by doing a fake assessment and you started the process based on that? We expect that more changes will need to be made in order to get this organization back on track. This will be a crucial offseason for us and we need to get it right. It's a disappointing statement. It's a process that didn't work. It's an ownership group that has not been successful. It's a team that was put together through drafts, trades, and signings that simply could not find a way to win. They tried moving in and out players. Now they're going to try coaches. A lot of rumors. Ty Lue is now an assistant with the uh, Doc Rivers and the Clippers. Ty Lue, remember, he was the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, won a championship with LeBron, then got fired. He's now an assistant. Rumor that he could be taking over. Another rumor is Jay Wright of the Villanova Wildcats. Wildcats. I don't know if that's their name. Yes. Well, here's my way to see. You know I've got some good wait to sees. This one is the following. Josh Harris of the of the the owner of the Sixers. Um he is not hiring a first time coach. He's not bringing a coach up from college. He is going to hire a retread a former head coach with gravitas. Ty Lue is a good example. Could be a Ty Lue. So my wait to see is the 76ers will hire a former coach. The process I guess is over. I never trusted it. It didn't work. But now this offseason, the Sixers will become accountable and restart. What about their counterparts down south in my backyard? Let's talk about Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. The Heat are not getting enough love or attention because they don't have any superstars. They've got Jimmy Butler, who I do not consider a superstar. They've got players who are undrafted. They've got re-treads. They've got Goran Dragic acquired through a trade. They got Andre Igudala. I got that name wrong for sure. And uh, he was brought in. Remember, he was on the Warriors. They have this merry band of players. And... What is interesting to me is that Pat Riley was the original creator of the big three. Now, some will argue in Boston that when they had Pierce and Garnett and Allen, that that was a big three. 
there could be an argument that Bird, Parrish, and McHale was a big three, or that Jabbar, Worthy, and Johnson was a big three, or that Ewing, Starks, and Oakley was a big three. <laughs> oh, God, they were not a big three. Jordan, Pippen, and Phil in the third? No. The original big three was LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. They manufactured, they sacrificed, and they were brought into Miami with a vision that Pat Riley had, put role players around them, and they didn't win five, four, or three championships, but they did win two, and they were a huge success. Pat Riley then watched and got blindsided when LeBron James left the heat to go home, when Chris Bosh had a career-ending injury, and realized that he had to retool. He was getting older, and I was questioning whether or not he had the energy to do it again. And then I watched what he did, and I realized that Pat Riley deserves to be known even more so than Red Arback as the greatest basketball executive in the history of the game. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Remember, he coached the Lakers to championships, the Knicks to an almost championship, the Heat to a championship. He has been in charge of basketball operations under Mickey Arison, the owner, for as long as I can remember, I used to, Pat Riley was a, in 1994, when I met him as coach of the Knicks, I was a, a little kid. I was 26 years old, just out of law school, tooling around Europe. And I got a chance to meet him back in the, I think I met him in the early 90s, actually. And uh, when I may have still been in law school. And he was always sort of, uh, he was like a god. He was dressed impeccably. He was quaffed. Remember, he would grease his hair back. There was just something about Pat Riley. He had a square jaw, and he was so good at what he did. Then he segued into the executive position where he decided that the way to build a team when he lost the big three, which he built and won with, is he said he's going to give it another shot and he's not going to do a full process rebuild of winning 10 games. While the Heat have not won a first-round playoff series since 16, the fact of the matter is he brought in role players because he could not get a big three back to Miami. It doesn't mean that every one of his signings has been perfect. It hasn't. He signed some guys to big contracts like Hassan Whiteside, Dion Waiters, had to get rid of them, found a way to get rid of them. Not everything's been perfect. But he has this ability that is so undervalued to put players in a position, and this is the dream when you're running a team, is to put players in a position to be better than they are were they not to be in that position. He did it as a coach with spacing on the floor, and he's done it as an executive with players in the locker room. Remember when Jimmy Butler was on the Sixers, there was all that strife well, on the Heat, there's been nothing. He arranged a sign-and-trade deal, and Jimmy Butler's been nothing but a model citizen and a great player for the Heat. He's not a superstar, but he is in that clubhouse. He's a leader, and when he's on the floor, there's a calmness. 
He chose Eric Spolster, who had worked his way up from being in the video room, who's now one of the best coaches, longest tenured coaches in the NBA. When I had called for back in the day, yeah, fire Spolster, Pat, and get back on the sideline. And Pat never did it. Let Spolster coach because he knows, he knew. And I, for a moment or a year, forgot. So I had a chance over my career in Miami to spend a lot of time with Pat and to talk to him about his philosophy and why he did what he did, how he did what he did. I would see him at games. We'd talk on the phone. And I never, people would sometimes ask me, who are you in awe of when you're president of a team that you get to be around? And I would say, hey, you know, hiring Don Madden was sort of cool because I was a Yankee fan and he was a player when I was growing up. But the truth is, Being in a room with Pat Riley, I always would pinch myself and say, am I really talking to Pat Riley? Is he, are we two presidents of the local teams talking to each other at an event, about to give a speech at a dinner, wherever we are? It was always very bizarre to me because I never viewed him. He was a mentor. He was someone who was, I was not on his level, not even close. I wanted to be like Pat Riley. Now, one ring, not like Pat Riley. But I want to give him credit and say that If you've got a process that you want to trust and you've got an executive that you want to trust and someone who leads and doesn't follow, you're going to want to go with Pat Riley. Think about this. He has a chance in the conference semis, whether he plays the Bucs or the Magic, likely the Bucs, to make it to the conference finals. They could make it to the NBA finals. They could win the NBA finals. Forget a big three. He could do it without a big two, and he could do it without a big one. If Pat Riley's Heat make it to the NBA Finals, there should not be another conversation about who the greatest of all time is who ever put on a tie and wore it on a basketball court. It's Pat Riley. We're going to talk about some baseball and a little college football when we come back. But of course, we'll be back with a review. And it's back-to-back Costner days. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back. So I reviewed Yellowstone, highest rated cable show. 5.2 million of you watch Yellowstone. Thank you. I, if all of those people watch nothing personal, that'd be cool. Thank you for subscribing. You saw a tweet yesterday on David P. Sampson. We're going to announce a winner on Friday because we're over a thousand reviews on Apple. Get on Apple, write a review, rate us five stars, write a review, ask a question. It could be part of the end of month mailbag. But we're going to choose a winner and send a cool gift to the winner. We're doing the same thing when we get to a certain number of subscribers on YouTube. I'm not going to tell you how many. Just subscribe to our YouTube channel, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Thank you for telling your friends about our show. It's working. So Kevin Costner had a successful Yellowstone preview. Yellowstone season, Yellowstone finale, season three. It's been picked up for season four. I decided I wanted to do a double feature. So I watched The Highwaymen on Netflix. The Highwaymen is about two Texas Rangers Here's another thing I'll admit to you. I never really understood why the Texas Rangers are called the Texas Rangers in baseball. I thought, sorry, folks, parks closed like Smokey the Bear. And uh, the Texas Rangers were a group of, of law enforcement agents, I should say, law enforcement people who found a way to catch bad guys. And they were disbanded back in the day in the early, mid, uh, early second or third decade of the 1900s. God, that's almost 100 years ago, by the way. The 1920s are 100 years ago. <sighs> okay. So The Highwayman is about two people played by Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. It's a true story about two Texas Rangers who catch and kill, spoiler alert, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde were the outlaws who were going through and killing people in a crazy killing spree all through the South, Mid-South, Midwest. They ended up being killed in Louisiana. By the way, fingers crossed on Hurricane Laura. Be careful out there. I love the movie. It's about two, over two hours. I didn't know much about Bonnie and Clyde's story. Believe it or not, I have not seen Bonnie and Clyde with... Uh, I think that could be with Redford and Newman, but that's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So I don't know who's in Bonnie and Clyde, the movie. I'm completely blanking. I thought it was Redford, Coca, but I don't know. In any case, Bonnie and Clyde, the story of them, it, this movie is not about that. This story is about the men who found them and how they found them and what they did when they found them. You should check out Warren Beatty is in Bonnie and Clyde. Thank you. Who played Bonnie? So... It's, oh, Faye Dunaway. Oh, my God. I totally get why they were together at the Oscars when they miss, and they called La La Land his best picture, but it was actually Moonlight. Remember that crazy mistake in the Oscars? That was Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. I was today days old. 
when I realized that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway acted together in Bonnie and Clyde, and that's why they were together giving away the best picture. Hello. Welcome to the show. Anyway, Highwaymen, check it out. Okay. I want to do a, uh, so you want to talk to Samson Coke. I want to do it quickly, please. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. I want to talk to Samson. This was a question asked on Twitter at David P. Samson. If you are the president of the Indians, who is your starting pitcher on Wednesday night? Huh? Why would I take that question on? So you want to talk to Samson? because it's awesome what's going on there. There are rumors everywhere. The trade deadline is six days from today. Will the Indians trade Mike Clevenger? Will they trade Zach Plesak, the two guys who they optioned down after they went out in Chicago and broke protocol? If they stay down for 20 days, they've only been down for 10 days. If Clevenger stays down for another nine days until the deadline, they actually get an extra year out of Clevenger. Will the Indians actually trade him or are they going to call him up and let him start a game? The Indians are in a tough division race with the Minnesota twins. I picked the Indians last night in my nothing personal pick of the day and the twins beat them. So I'm back to 500, by the way. But the question is, what will the Indians do? Sandy Alomar is their coach and he may be managing the team while Terry Francona is ill. He was asked about it. He was asked about Wednesday starter and Sandy Alomar Jr. said he wants the team to move past the Clevenger police act situation. He said, quote, we'd love to have one of those guys pitch if we could, but that's a decision the front office has to make. Boy, is he right. The starting pitcher for tomorrow will only be decided by the front office. It's not going to be decided by the GM. Antonetti, turn off, no chance. That gets decided by Paul Dolan himself. He will be told about the money. He will be told about the financial ramifications of bringing him up and starting him. He will get input from his GM about the Indians are better. Listen, they've had some great performing young starters, but the reality is they're led by Bieber, who could win the Cy Young going tonight which is the nothing personal pick of the day. If the Indians didn't win last night, they're going to win tonight. I promised you I'd pick Bieber no matter what. Every time he pitches, he goes tonight. I'm going Bieber tonight over the Twins. But when you've got a chance to be good and to win, which the Indians haven't done, in what scenario do you not have your best players play? The scenario where it costs you extra dollars that you don't have and don't want to spend. When you've been handed a excuse on a silver platter, the excuse saying, hey, guess what? You can leave this player down and you will not lose a grievance. Do you do it? Do you roll the dice in a 60 game season? Keep them down. Don't trade them. Or do you go into your clubhouse and tell the players, listen, I heard you. You didn't want Clevenger. Oliver Perez said he was going to leave the team if we brought him back along with Plesak. But we got to. We need a starter for tomorrow night. We've punished them enough. They've learned their lesson. It's time. But what lesson will they have learned when it didn't cost them a penny? If I'm president of the Marlins, of the Indians, you know who I'm not starting tomorrow night? Mike Clevenger or Zach Plesak. What will the Indians do? Wait to see. 
Yesterday, the AP, we're going to end this show with a little college football because I thought this was outstanding. Preseason top 25, which, by the way, you can wipe your tuchus with. It literally means nothing. So the Associated Press releases a preseason top 25. Clemson's number one. Ohio State's number two. Ohio State's number two. Wait a minute. How could Ohio State be number two? That can't be right, Coca. Ohio State, aren't they in the Big Ten? The Big Ten's not playing. Why, why are they even ranked? Wait a minute. Look at this ranking. Iowa's ranked 24. Utah's ranked 22. Minnesota's ranked 19. USC is ranked 17. Michigan, 16. My alma mater, 12. Oregon, 9. Penn State, 7. Ohio State, 2. That's 9 out of 25 from either the Big 16 or the Pac-19. They're not eligible. They're not playing fall sports. Why are they in a preseason poll to begin with? Well, wouldn't you know that the preseason poll was announced with a further announcement that there will be 53 bowl subdivision teams ineligible because their schools postpone fall sports. There are usually 129 teams eligible to be ranked in the top 25, eligible to go play in the college football playoffs and make all that money. This year, only 76 teams will be considered. One of those teams is Alabama. And Nick Saban spent the time yesterday to take the microphone after there were tons of positive COVID cases on his campus. And he said, listen, I just want to be clear that I wish that all five conferences would be on the same page. I get why sometimes they're not because they've got different interests. But at Alabama, our interest is not money. Our interest is in the players. And we want those players to have the right to play. As though impugning the other, the intention of the other presidents of the team's who are not playing, saying that they don't want to give those players the right to play. I found it to be incredibly self-serving and wrong of Nick Saban to say what he said, because of course it's about money for these conferences. Why wouldn't it be? The insanity of certain conferences playing and certain conferences not, while we're watching kids begin to populate campuses, while we're watching campuses shut down after kids appear, all while the AP is releasing their preseason rankings. I'm not a hater. I want college football. I want it because of CBS. I want it because of you, the fan. I want it because the Badgers should be able to win it all this year, but they're not playing. But the insanity of the rankings and of Nick Saban and of competing statements and people taking the microphone while the NCA stands idly by is continuing to drive me insane. Nick, do us all a favor and just acknowledge what we know is true in Alabama. No matter what people are tweeting that it's only a certain number of students, no matter what people are tweeting that it's the players are safe and they're better in the bubble, don't touch on the fact by denying it's about money. Just look in the camera and be honest. At Alabama, 
It's always about business. It's nothing personal. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.